back to the Killer Kind Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who listened to episode one on Savannah Spurlock. I had a lot of positive feedback on that episode, and I'm so thankful for that. If you have not heard episode one, then I highly recommend that you go back and check that out after this episode, because this case is going to be a good one. The case I'm covering today is one that I was not planning on covering. I actually had a whole other case picked out for this week's episode, but I came across this story and I just knew that I had to cover it. We're going to talk about a young couple who are high school sweethearts. They had gotten married on a beautiful beach in Belize and went on to have two beautiful children. By all accounts, their life was perfect. But this is a true crime podcast, so you know their life was not indeed perfect. The marriage started out beautiful, but we'll soon find out how it ended up in flames. This is the story of Vashti and Brett Seacap. Vashti and Brett Seacat met during a high school wrestling tournament where Brett was wrestling on his high school team, and Vashti was doing stats for her high school. The two immediately hit it off. Even though they attended separate high schools, the two made it work for the most part. They ended up dating off and on throughout high school and college, and ultimately got married in 2004 on a beautiful beach in Belize. After their beautiful wedding, the two moved to Brett's hometown of Kingman, Kansas, and they settled down to start a wonderful life together. The happy couple was only married a couple years before they had their first child, Brandon, who was born in the fall of 2006, and they had a second child, Bronson, less than two years later. Vashi and Brett were star parents. Vashi's family said that she was the kind of mom who would wake up at 4 a.m. to hand-make baby food for her children, and Brett just did everything with the boys. They were both very engaged with their kids and very proud parents. Now, Brett Seacat was a law enforcement officer, and he came from a family of men who were in the same workforce. He was a sheriff deputy for the first part of their marriage, and He had an unpredictable work schedule, and he just wasn't able to really be involved as much as he wanted to be with his family. However, Brett finally got a job teaching officer recruits at the Kansas Law Enforcement Training Center. This is where he finally had set hours and was able to be home more with his beautiful wife and his two young boys. Brett's brother, Bobby, had the teaching job prior to Brett, and he actually replaced his brother when he left. The job really focused on accident investigations as well as collision investigations, and it was a fairly easy job. Although Bobby said that Brett was more into combat training, he said he was involved in martial arts when he was younger and really enjoyed that, but he took the slower-paced job knowing it was a better fit for his family. Vashti's family thought the world of Vashti, but they didn't have that same feeling towards Brett. I believe it was Vashti's brother who told a reporter that he really never liked Brett. He said he was pretty standoffish with the family, and he just kind of kept to himself. But at the same time, Vashti seemed to love him, and they supported her decisions and life choices. So, you know, they didn't really bother her about it or question her. They just kind of let her live her life. And, And on the outside, the two had a great marriage and a beautiful family. However, things really took a turn after both boys were born and 
Brett slowly started becoming more and more controlling. It started with just knowing where she is at all times, and then that grew to, you're not allowed to go anywhere. But after her two boys, according to friends and family, Vashti wanted to lose the baby weight and spend time with her friends and family more and and really spread her wings in her career, which Vashti at the time was an employee relations representative at a communications company. She really just wanted to focus on taking care of herself as well as her family, but it appeared that Brett just wanted his wife to be a housewife and nothing more than that. He wanted to keep her on a short leash and make sure she did what he wanted. Bashi and Brett saw their marriage taking a turn, so they went to counseling at first and tried to make that, try to become that happy couple that they were at the start of their relationship. However, nothing really seemed to help Brett's controlling behavior, which ended up escalating to anger and an angry outburst with threats to Vashti. Family members and co-workers of Vashti's said that the that she had mentioned to them on a few different occasions that she was scared of Brett, that he had threatened her life more than once, and she was considering filing for divorce after those threats. This was not something that Vashti wanted to do because she did not want to upset or hurt her boys. Her boys were her focus. So that's why she tried to make it work with Brett, but ultimately she decided that divorce had to happen. It's reported that the two actually came to this conclusion together after counseling and trying to make it work, although Brett is the one that kind of made it seem that Vashti was depressed after this decision, that she was the one that was just kind of not okay and just showing signs of of depression. However, Vashti according to family, said that she really started acting like a weight was lifted off of her shoulders. She was saying that Brett was the one having a hard time with the decision, not her. On April 30th, 2011, Vashti had planned a girls' night out with one of her co-workers and a couple of friends, and it was also the last night that her and Brett were to be under the same roof. However, that night did not go according to plan. Around 4.30 a.m., Brett Seacat called police reporting a fire at his Kingman, Kansas home where his wife and two boys were still living. Brett told 911 that he had been sleeping on the couple's living room couch when he got a phone call from his estranged wife, who was upstairs in the master bedroom the two had once shared. Brett says that Vashti told him simply to grab the boys and get them out of the house to keep them safe. About that time, Brett said he had heard what sounded like a gunshot. Then he went to investigate. He saw the bedroom up in flames, and he could see Vashti lying on the couple's bed with what looked like a gunshot wound to her head. After this, Brett said that he ran downstairs and grabbed the boys and got them out of the house, and he said that he put them in his wife's car just to keep them safe. And then that's when he calls 911. Now, Brett says that he calls 911, reports that his wife committed suicide, and that he was running back in the house to save her. And you can hear on the 911 tape that Brett is running upstairs, sounds like he's having a little difficulty breathing, and and he's just going to try to save his wife. And again, that's what he tells the 911 operator, that he's going to go try and save her. However, once he gets about halfway up the stairs, he says that the smoke is just too strong and he needs to turn around. 
Now, at this point, the 911 operator calls the fire department, the police station, and as well as an ambulance to come out to the scene. And so once Brett gets back outside, shortly after, all three of these um, rescuers, if you will, arrive. Now, first thing the police notice is Brett, of course, standing outside with, you know, next to the car with his two sons. And they kind of make a mental note of his demeanor. One police officer reported that his demeanor was just kind of out of place for the circumstance that he was in. I mean, they said he was not sweaty. He did not appear to have any blood or ash on him. And I mean, come on, dude. You know, you just supposedly ran back upstairs to try to rescue your wife and and you just ran your boys out of the house and, you know, from to keep them from getting hurt. I mean, come on, you know. My, I mean, that would be a huge red flag for me. I mean, you walk up and you just see this guy kind of like chilling is basically the way they made it seem that he didn't really seem to be worked up in any kind of way. Just more like, okay, I'm here. <laughs> I don't know. It's It was definitely a red flag. And so police noticed that. So basically the fire department went in, put out the fire so that the officers could get in and find Vashti. And once the fire was out, that's what they did. They went upstairs to the couple's master bedroom, and sure enough, you could see Vashti lying on the couple's master bedroom bed, and she was indeed deceased from a gunshot wound to the head. So that starts an investigation, of course. So investigators come, and they talk to Brett and basically just try to get a story from him. You know, what happened, what could have led to this, etc., basically. So... He just explains the situation that he believed his wife was suicidal because they were getting a divorce. Now, talks of divorce really is kind of a red flag to police because this could mean one of two things. That, yes, the wife could have taken her own life because of the depression that she was feeling because of the divorce. Or it could be a cover-up for a husband who doesn't really want to go through with the divorce now so that's that's typical that is what police kind of have to consider when the, a situation like this is happening so investigators pretty much went straight to work so two of them took Brett back to the police station and then other investigators stayed at the house to investigate Bashti's body and the crime scene itself so Starting off with the investigation at the home, police officers found the pistol underneath Vashti's left side. The one she had presumably used to take her own life with the barrel pointed downward. Now, Special Agent David Folletti of the KBI questioned the position of the gun. He said if she had shot herself while she's lying down, the, the gun would have fallen onto the floor. Now, if she had been sitting up and shot herself, the gun would have remained on the right side. It just didn't make sense. Now, during the initial interview with Brett the night of the fatal fire, police got a general story of what happened. At that time, he was not a suspect. He was just there to give a statement. But after this interview, Investigators really just got to work. They were suspicious of Brett's. They really had to investigate the whole situation. So they started with arson investigators who determined that someone had to use gasoline as an accelerant to set little fires at several points of origin in the master 
bedroom. And at this point, the KBI assumed that the arsonist, quote unquote, had shot the victim in the head before torching the home. And a side note, a suicide note was found in Vashti's car. Police picked that up and flagged as evidence, but after further investigation, there was something off about that note. They had performed a handwriting analysis and determined the handwriting didn't quite match Vashti's. But during their investigation, a co-worker of Brett's actually came forward and said that they saw Brett at the training center using the projector that he uses for teaching, and they said it looked like Brett was tracing over a note. Now, that didn't seem too fishy to the co-worker, but with the suicide note the police had, that was another clue pointing the case to a murder, not a suicide. On top of that incriminating statement, on a separate occasion, Brett was seen destroying computer hard drives. Now, with all the red flags and incriminating statements from witnesses, police called Brett back to their office. And on May 12, 2011, two agents with the KBI interrogated Brett. During this interview, the KBI investigators got a backstory of the couple's history, as well as everything leading up to this event. Brett even admitted to being controlling by saying that he had purchased software to track his wife's text messages and her GPS location. He even said that he had threatened to move out of the house with the two boys if his wife proceeded with a divorce. Yet, just the day before her death, Vashti had served her husband with divorce papers. Now, during the interrogation, Brett admitted to being in his office destroying computer hard drives, like I mentioned earlier. He said this was actually done the day before his wife's death. So he said, look, I understand why I'm a suspect. I get it. But he insisted that she was the one who set the fire before shooting herself and that he had nothing to do with it. That being said, we go back to the night of the fire. Brett was showing no emotion then, and he wasn't showing it now in this interview. I mean, it was even noted that he was seen laughing and making jokes with the investigators, but the KBI made it very clear that they did not think Brett's account of that night made any sense. Why would Vashti risk her children's lives by setting the fire, calling him on the phone, then climbing into bed and and pulling up the covers and shooting herself? They also pointed out that he had no traces of soot from the fire or blood from his wife on his clothing. And when the police pointed this out, Brett said, I'm with you on that. It doesn't make sense at all. I get it. And he really tried to defend himself, but nothing was pointing in any other direction other than this was definitely a murder, not a suicide. And on May 14th, 2011, the KBI arrested Brett Seacat on charges of first-degree murder, aggravated arson, and two counts of child endangerment, and a bail was set at $1 million. On May 23, 2013, the murder trial was underway at the Kingman County Courthouse. And I'll stop and say, if you ever go back and watch the interrogation video of when Brett was kind of being interrogated for murder, essentially, you'll notice how arrogant he seemed. Like I mentioned earlier, there was no emotion from Brett at any point during this whole time. And so, to me, it's no wonder that he didn't take a plea deal or anything. Like, of course, he went to trial. He definitely seemed like the kind of guy who would 
think he could get off scot-free. So here we are, starting a murder trial, of course. Now, during the trial, all evidence was laid out. The co-workers that witnessed Brett destroying computer hard drives and using the projector to trace what we're assuming is the sketchy suicide note, they testified and shared what they saw. One of Vashti's co-workers also testified, saying that the day before her death, Vashti expressed concern that her estranged husband would not move out of the house as he supposedly promised. And this co-worker even told the courtroom that Vashti herself asked, do you think Brett would burn down the house with me in it? And as if that didn't send shockwaves through the courtroom enough, the couple's marriage counselor took the stand and told jurors that Brett called her shortly after Vashti's death. According to the counselor, he said, quote unquote, I killed her. Vashti is dead and it's my fault. In describing her conversation with Brett, though, she said, I wouldn't say in hearing his voice that I thought he was distressed in any way. He was quite calm. I didn't hear sadness. I didn't hear tearfulness or crying or expressions of surprise or horror or words of exhaustion. The marriage counselor went on to say that Vashti had told her that her husband wasn't doing well with the pending divorce. She told the therapist that he had woken her up one night and told her that he had had a dream that he killed her. On June 6, 2013, Brett takes the stand in his own defense. Now, this rarely happens, and in my experience, in all of the cases I've heard and the murder trials I've listened to, anytime the defendant takes the stand, it's usually when there's too much evidence against them, they are very clearly guilty, And they are always super cocky and arrogant, a.k.a. Brett Seacat. The defendant explains that he had melted two laptop hard drives after he arrived at work that day to protect against identity theft. He says that he had planned to sell the computers as well. And during his testimony, the defendant spoke with ease, occasionally smiling at the jurors. And while portraying himself as this loving husband and father, Brett admitted that he had threatened to expose his wife's alleged affairs. He wanted to wreck her career and take away her sons if she divorced him. Now, hello, this only makes you look more guilty. Now you're blasting your wife. Now you're making her look like some, you know, slut. Like, how disgusting does this make you look? So that was just it for me when I read that. I was like, okay, we're done with this guy. He did it. He's a piece of crap. End of story. And the defense also ends up calling an expert witness who said the pair of pants that Brett was wearing the night of the fire were improperly packaged by a KBI arson investigator. And I'll stop and just remind you, Earlier in the investigation, or in the interrogation rather, the investigators pointed out there was no ash on Brett's clothing, basically saying that he never actually went back in to save his wife. So this was one thing the defense tried to tried to push, that this was this is why he didn't have any ash on him because it was improperly packaged, which whatever. Either way, even if it was true. Everything else points to Brett being a murderer. Everything else points to this being Brett, not Vashti. So on June 10th, 2013, the prosecutor and the defense attorney made their closing arguments to the jury of five men and eight women. That next day, the jury returned its verdict. 
Brett Seacat was found guilty on all charges. And on August 5th, the judge sentenced Brett Seacat to life in prison. And that, you guys, is the conclusion of episode two. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. I want to take this time to say that if you have any comments on the case, I would love to hear your feedback. I would love to hear what your thoughts are on the case itself. And if you have any friends who may be experiencing abuse in this sort of way, we did not really talk about any sort of physical abuse, but mental abuse and just the controllingness that that Brett, if I don't know if controllingness is a word, but you know what I mean. If any of your friends experience this or if you yourself have experienced this sort of controlling behavior, I just really encourage you to to see that, to understand what's happening, and to try to get out of that situation. Because too many times it starts like this. It starts with controlling where you go, what you do, who you talk to, to then it kind of goes to like verbal threats and 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 verbal abuse, then that leads to physical abuse and who knows, even murder, even some, you know, having your life taken and you don't want to put your family through that. So I just recommend opening your eyes, doing what you can to get out of that situation or to help a friend get out of that situation. But I'll end it here, guys. I hope everyone had a great 4th of July weekend and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you will, give it a nice five-star review at the end of the episode and leave any feedback that you want to in the review as well. And you can also go to the Instagram at killer.kind.pod and comment on the post for this episode and give your feedback there. I will see you guys back here in two weeks. Thanks again for joining and stay safe out there, guys. Bye.